All right. The topic that is on my mind, that's been on my mind this week, uh, is light. 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 And very closely connected to that is darkness. Um, and so, Lord willing, um, the kind of myriad of things I've looked at this week will come out in a coherent fashion. This has not been a typical week where I've got exactly the order I want to deliver things ready and notes and cleared, but I've kind of got a general theme, and we'll see how that goes. Um, so we definitely need the Lord's intervention. Um, not kidding in that, so y'all, y'all actively be praying um, that the Lord will, will bless our time. So I want to start in Genesis 1-1 and just read the first five verses. In the beginning, God created the heaven, and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. When I first started to read Scripture and I read this first verse, I kind of thought it was like an introduction. It's going to talk about God creating the heavens and the earth. That's a statement. It's a statement of fact. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That was the actual creation of the heaven, the whole universe, and the earth itself. And then verse 2 starts with, what did the earth look like as when he created it? What was the original starting point? Um, so there was nothing. Then he created the heaven, this blank canvas, no stars or anything in it, universe going out to infinity. He created space, and he created the earth. And this is what the earth looked like. The earth was without form. You look up the Hebrew word for form, the definition in Strong says, to lie in waste, desolation, a desert, worthless. Okay? So imagine it's, it's empty, it's desert, desolation. Now we know it's covered with water at this point. So imagine a salt sea that's covering the whole globe. The earth was without form. It was in waste. It was a waste place. And void. Void means literally empty. Indistinguishable ruin, void and empty, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness, what is that? That's, that's dark. But elsewhere in Scripture, that same Hebrew word would figuratively be used to mean death or ignorance. Okay? Without form, void, and darkness. It was a desert. It was a waste place. There was nothing living. There was nothing growing. It was just this saltwater um just completely dark. Darkness upon the face of the deep. And that word deep literally means the abyss. Okay? And then something happens. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay? And God said, Let there be light. He spoke it. Let there be light. That word light is illumination. And unlike the other times when it mentions light, you know, about the, the sun and the moon and everything, let there be lights in the sky, those, that word's a different word. It means luminous body, something that gives off light. This is let there be light, but it doesn't tell you what the source is. 
Scripture later tells you what the source is, and it's the same light that's going to light in heaven, and that's the Lord Himself. You can see that in Revelation 21. Revelation 21, because sun and moon and everything haven't been created yet. They won't be created for another till the fourth day. So we're on day one. Revelation 21 and 23, describing the city. The city hath no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So God's glory, Jesus, the Lamb, that's the light in heaven. That's the same light here. Okay? He, saw, he said, let there be light, and there was light. This is light is from the glory of God Himself. And God saw the light. It was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. There was a division. The light was good. The light was God. The light was emanating from God. It was good. And He divided the light from the darkness. There was a separation. The darkness could not abide in the light. It couldn't stay any longer. And the day He called, the light He called day, and the darkness He called night. In Hebrew, where there's interesting, the word night literally means to twist as in to twist away from the day. Okay? The darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now you and I think about day, sun comes up, day starts. That's not the pattern given here. It started with the darkness. The earth was there. It was created. It was a desolate wasteland, void of life, uninhabited. It was in the darkness. And then the light came. The evening... Darkness first, and then the light came. Alright? So it starts with the darkness, and then comes the light. I want you to think about this. There's a lot of different applications that we can think about in context of light and darkness. This is an illustration that the Lord uses throughout Scripture to teach many different lessons about Himself and about us. But here's one I want you to think about this morning. This could also be a description for your life and every other child of God. When we are conceived and born, we are born dead in trespasses and sins. Okay? Our natural position is being dead. We thanks to Adam, everyone who's born after him starts off dead in trespasses and sins. You have no spiritual life. That earth was created. You're created carnally. You existed, but you were a barren, empty, worthless, dark land. There is nothing good or redeeming in you or in me. And then the Spirit of God moves. And you can't tell it to move. You're dead. You're an empty, worthless land full of darkness. And the Spirit of God moves just like Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that it moves of its own will. You can't tell like the wind where it goes or where it comes from. So the Spirit of God moves and it gives life. And that life comes in the form of light. You will become light. And God creates you a new creature. That's the new birth. Also called regeneration. A new life. He gives you new life. He puts light within you and the darkness can no longer abide. You start in darkness, the Spirit of God moves, and you are created anew, and light is in you. And that light 
is good. Okay? And the, the darkness cannot dwell. There has been a separation between those two. Okay? I've enjoyed meditating on that this week. So I'm not going to beat this horse to death. But I just want you to think about that. It's not, a, it's not a hard concept and it's not a hard thing to, to chew on. But it's something that we need to recognize. If we're going to keep ourselves in a proper perspective about who is in charge of the universe and what do we have to contribute to salvation, the answer is the only thing we contribute is our sins. Right? We had nothing. We were dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. God moved. God brought light into our life. He gave us life. Okay? Go a little farther down in John, not John, Genesis, and you can see on that fourth day when He does create those lights and stars in the heaven, fourth day, God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the sky to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. So He put the stars, the sun and the moon, all in the sky, and He gave them there for a purpose. Their purpose was to show forth that light. And from that point on, there was never that absolute darkness again. Right? There was always some light, whether it was in the form of a sun, or whether it was in the form of the moon, that even in the physical night here, there was some light. It never went back to that complete darkness. There was some light. And it's, their job was to give light upon the earth. He made two lights, the greater light to rule the day, sun, the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. Alright, I want you to think about this in terms of the concept of God revealing His truth to the world. To creation. Throughout history, He has used prophets and He has used His individual saints to be lights in this world. Right? They're not the perfect light, but they're small. And they shine very brightly, particularly in the darkness. Um, you can see that uh, in John 5 and 35, as Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. Right? He described him as being a light. As a prophet, he was the last prophet of the Old Testament age. It came up to John the Baptist, and then a new age started with Jesus... John 5 and 35, describing him, it says, He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in that light. Jesus was greater than that. But he, again, just using him as an example, there, he's one prophet, and he was used in that form, describing him as a little light. And then also for you and for me, Matthew 5 and 14, we're described as being lights. We're not bright like the sun, we're like little candles. Ye are the city, uh, ye are the light of the world. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Right? So individually, a candle doesn't have a whole lot of power. But if you get a whole bunch of candles together, a whole lot, I mean, that's like, like the lights of a city. You see a city on a hill, well, one little street light's not going to make that big of an impact. But you get a whole bunch of them together and you can see it for miles and miles and miles, right? So we have been created 
these new creatures, Lord puts light into us and we're created to shine that forth in the dark time. The purpose is that people may see the good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Not for us to be seen. This is not for the selfies. It's, oh, look, I helped this guy. Instagram. Right? But rather, to do it just so our Father can see it. And if others see, then that's okay. But it's not for us to get glory of men. It's to glorify our Father. So, when we've been born again, and we have the light put within us, we're, we're new creatures, right? We don't understand that. We're we're created new. That's Ephesians chapter two talks about that. We're created um, to do things, right? It's not not just for our own purposes. In Ephesians chapter two it says, uh, "Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ." In verse five it says, "But God, God who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, He hath quickened us." Quickened means to make alive, right? He's made us alive together with Christ by grace you are saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved. That unmerited favor are you saved through faith. And that faith is not a gift of yourselves. It's not something you create on your own. It's a gift of God, not of your works, lest of any man should boast. For we are created. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Alright, and so in this process, the light had always existed, right? God's always there, but you hadn't been able to see it. Right? And this is a different type of illustration. This is this is you're able to see, but you're able to move and walk around, but you're blind. Right? Jesus would describe that frequently about the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they were the blind leading the blind. Right? Let's imagine you're going to the Grand Canyon and you've got a tour guide. And that tour guide is blind. And the whole group there following behind is blind. And, you know, Jesus would use the illustration of the blind leading the blind they're going to fall in the ditch. Well, maybe you think about a little ditch over here. What do you think about the Grand Canyon? Would you really want to be following the blind guide along the edge of the rim and as he is, he's describing, and oh, and you can see the colors here. And Well, that's the point. Is that those who haven't been given eyes to see by the Holy Spirit and by God can't see anything of God. They can't see the light. But once you have, it's just like the Apostle Paul. Right? He saw a vision on the road to Damascus. He saw a bright light. He saw his Lord speaking to him. And after that, you know what it described him physically being? Blind. Right? And then the Lord sent a prophet to him to pray for him. And he did as he was told. And you know what happened to Paul's eyes? They were open, but it said, literally it says that there were scales that fell off. Okay? That's part of the illumination that you have when God lightens you, gives you light, it gives you the ability to see the light. Um, and that helps us understand over in Matthew chapter 6 and 22 what Jesus was talking about when he says about the eye um, being the light of the body. I, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. 
And if therefore the darkness that it, if the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is thy darkness? And these verses have always confused me. But think about this. Your eyes have to be open and seeing for light to come in, right? Alright, so imagine those scales have fallen off of your eyes spiritually, and now you can see the light of Christ, and that comes within you, and you have light within for the first time. You can see your grossness and your vileness and your sins, the things before you thought, eh, I'm better than so and so, I'm not on drugs, or I'm not, you know, having fornication, whatever it is. You can always find somebody you can put yourself on a better tier than, right? But here you've got the real light that shines in and you see for the first time what you really are and how great the light really is. And so that light comes in. But if those scales are still on, if you're still dead in trespasses and sin, that thing that should be light, there's no light within. It's all dark. That's where we were in that dark and desolate and ruined place where there's no life, devoid of anything. And now suddenly there's light. Light that we can see, the source... Jesus Himself, and it shines all the way within. Right? New creatures. So, I said that light is Jesus, but let's let's just plainly establish that by Scripture. And y'all know this, um, but it's worth going over to. Go to Matthew chapter... Not Matthew, excuse me, John. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word... And we know from Revelation that the Word is another name for Jesus. Logos, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So we're going back to Genesis 1-1 right here. In the beginning, the Word was... He was there, and He was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Who do you think was speaking when God spoke? I think it was the Word. He spoke, and it was so. Let there be light, and there was light. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. There was nothing carved out and said, okay, this is made, and the Word wasn't involved in it, that Jesus wasn't involved with it. Everything. Okay? In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Before, it was just darkness, ruin, wasteland, desolate, He brings the light, that light of men. And that's life, the eternal life. The light that shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. If you're blind, and you're in a dark cave, and somebody pulls out a flashlight, are you going to understand that there's a flashlight? No, because you can't see. But when He gives you those eyes, you will see, and you'll recognize, and you'll understand it. The darkness comprehended it not. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. That was John's whole role. John the Baptist, his role was to say, He's the light. He is the light. And he came and lived here among us about 33 and a half years as the perfect light. And the light, then the darkness didn't recognize it. Right? He came to his own and they didn't recognize him. They, they, they killed him. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. This was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Does this mean he gives light to every man, those eyes to see? No. But he lights every man. He comes to reveal. If he's given you eyes to see, you'll see it. If not, you're still blind, but you've been illuminated in the fact that your sins are seen, they're visible. 
you can see this, this difference, this dichotomy over in John chapter 3, where there's only going to be two reactions. John 3, starting in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but shall have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation. Why are they condemned? How are they condemned? Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. That's our natural state. That's where we're at. When we're all dead in trespasses and sins, we hate the light. We don't want to be anywhere near the light because it shows what we've done. All of the um, businesses that advertise things, you know, we, we have our services offered between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Are any of those, the vast majority, let's say, glorifying to God? No. The things that take place in those hours, where do you think the most crimes occur? Where do you think the most murders occur? The most robberies? All the things that don't want to be seen. There's a shame. Why do you think bars have the lights so, so low? And when it's time to go, what do they do? They turn on the lights. They get out. Right? Is that that's the environment for doing evil. The things that they don't want to be seen. It's a, a, a shame to even speak of them. Right? Men who love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They do not want their deeds to be reproved. But that's not all. Right? There are those, for he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought of God. When you've been born again, you're a new creature, you're doing those goods, what do you want to do? You want to be in that light. You want to be as close to it as possible. You want what you're doing to serve God to be plain to Him, not to be seen of men. You don't need to be seeking men's applause. But that's the difference. You've been born again. You're now serving God. You want to be in the light. You haven't. You don't want anything to do with the light. That's why as we're praying that the Lord will open up doors of opportunity to spread the gospel and the word will be glorified, that third part is in that we would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all men have faith. That if you're faithfully teaching and sharing the gospel, you'll come against those who do not want to talk to you, who hate you, who think that you're a scourge and that you just need to go away. That's okay. That doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It means that's the reaction of those who are still dead and trespasses to sin. Does that mean they're not the elect? They're not children of God? Not necessarily. Because God has not brought His light to them yet. But there are those that He won't bring His light to. We know that Scripture plainly teaches that. And that for everyone that He did give to His Son before the foundation of the world, He will bring them to the light at some point in their life. Alright, so go again later in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus would say, and this is right after he sent the woman who was taken in adultery. He had been teaching among a group, and then um, some religious leaders came to him and you know brought this woman and say she was taken in adultery, and he had that whole scene. They all leave, and now he's talking to that group again, and he said, 
to them that are still there. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Right? Who is the light of the world? He's the light of the world. If you're following him, you're no longer walking in darkness. You have that light revealed unto you. Okay? So there's a concept about Jesus being in the world and being the light. Um, in the context of it, it, it feels temporary. Okay? And, and I just want to flesh that out for a minute. And you can see that over in Matthew 9. It feels temporary, I say that way, because his light is permanent. But when he was here and physically walking around, there was something different going on. Something during those three, three, three and a half years of his ministry that were different. Um, in Matthew chapter 9, some of the disciples of John, John the Baptist, um, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But thy disciples fast not. He says, What's the difference? He said, You know, we, we, don't, we don't drink. That's what John the Baptist he wasn't didn't drink. He didn't. Um, he, he fasted very often where you abstain from food, where you're afflicting your body, so you'll be more diligent in your prayer and focused on it. And he said, Why do we fast often? And the Pharisees do too, but your disciples don't. And Jesus' answer was unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them. Then shall they fast. And so there was something special about this time when he was physically here. That was not a time to fast and grieve. Right? It's like you're, this, this idea of the, the groom, is, is he's the one you're waiting for for the wedding. Right? Everybody's waiting for him to get there. Well, while he's physically there, you're not sad. You know, that's a time of celebration. So Jesus is physically there. He says there's going to be a time when he's taken away from them, and then shall they fast. And that's where we're at now, is that physically he was there, and so there was just a time of, this was rejoicing and waiting, and now we're in the period of waiting, waiting for him to come back again. So now we're, we're, we're fasting. So you can see that concept um, fleshed out a little bit later in John, in John chapter 12. John chapter 12, down in 34. Um, we've heard, the people asked him, we've heard out of the law that John abideth for, that Christ, excuse me, we've heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever, and how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest the darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not where he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. And again, down in 46, in the same chapter, he says, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. All right, so he is God and man fully present. The light was there. He didn't recognize it. Says, but there's going to time come a time when he's not going to be there. But even so, you're going to follow after him. It's not going to be the same same kind of light. There's going to be. It's more like the sun and the moon and the stars. You've got little lights that you are seeing here below. You're seeing your brothers and sisters. You're seeing the lights of His glory reflected out of them. But we're in a period of darkness. We're in a period of where He's not physically here, but He's coming back. So we're in that evening and the morning period. We're in that evening period. There are these little lights that are shining His glory. They're lights that He's put in. And they're pointing that time's passing. Right? So there's a reason. Signs and and times and seasons, all these things, that was the reason for him. You could see the time passing. He's coming closer. But you know, one of the na names for Jesus is the day spring, right? The dawn. 
The dawn is coming. That's what we're looking forward to. We are looking forward to when the light fully comes. But in the meantime, we're called to be alert, to be awake, to have our candles trimmed, right? We don't carry oil lamps around very much, right? But if you have an oil lamp and you don't have any oil in it, what's it do? It goes out, right? So there's the, the illustration Jesus gave of the, the ten virgins. Five were wise and had sufficient oil for their lamps, and five were unwise. And so the idea is that they're active and engaged and anticipating their master coming at any point. That's what we should be doing. We should be excited and walking as children of light. Okay? This concept um, is expressed uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. As children of light. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness before. Back when you were dead in trespasses and sins, you looked like everyone else in the world. Pursuing the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, anything that made you feel good, that's what you were after. Sometimes you were sometimes, past tense. But now are ye light in the Lord. You're light. That's what you've been created. Light. Walk as children of light. That's your entire conversation. Your entire manner of life should reflect the new light that is within you. Reflecting the light of the Lord. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Testing, discerning what pleases Him. What is well-pleasing? That's what acceptable means. Well-pleasing to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Right? The darkness, that was barren, desolate desert. Don't go spend your time planting and plowing there. Nothing good will grow. It's all wasted and vain effort. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Rebuke it. Call sin what it is. A sin. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't try and you know, repackage it in something that seems more palatable. It's sin. For it is a shame to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things are reproved that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is the light. And so manifest means revealing. The light reveals the truth. Right? And when you're reproving something, you're shining light on it. Not your light, but the light of the Lord. Right? What pleases Him? Okay? You go over to 1 John chapter 6, first epistle of John chapter, not chapter 6, chapter 1, verse 6. It says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, God, let's go 5, then is the message which ye have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Zero. In Him, and God is no darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Our manner of life. So I'm, I'm in fellowship with God. I'm following God. I'm a disciple of God. And yet my life doesn't bear that out. We're lying. And do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So the idea is not to put up a facade that says, all right, I've reached the point where I don't sin anymore. I am now perfect. No, you can't do it. You will always have that old, carnal, sinful nature that's going to battle against you. You've got a new man within. It's a a dual nature. And that's something we're going to struggle with until Christ comes back and that old man is finally put to death for good. And even our sinful and broken bodies will be made perfect when they're changed into perfect immortal bodies. So you're not going to get to the point where I've got no sin. And if you're acting like that, Congratulations, you're full of self-righteousness and you're better, no better than any of those other Pharisees. Right? They thought that they had it all figured out and they looked good on the outside. They were checking the boxes so that they looked good and they could look down their nose at anyone else and say, well, that's just a sinner there. Right? That was a label they used for others. How arrogant. Well, he just eats with sinner, you know, publicans and sinners. Everybody at every table that's ever sat down is full of sinners. Right? And so it's an illusion not to recognize that. And if we say that we're not sinning, we're just lying. But rather, we should dwell in that light. That light that, one, recognizes the truth of what we are. Then we are sinners. And we need the Lord's mercy every day. And we need His grace every day. But we also can't be content to just dwell in that. That we're created as quick children of light. Walk in the light. In everything that we do. Okay? Alright, I want to continue this idea... But I want to look look at another Old Testament illustration. Light and darkness, Exodus chapter 10. Okay, your context real quickly. This is in the middle of the plagues. God said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He's not going to do it. I'm going to harden his heart multiple times, and I'm going to reveal my wonders so that they can be displayed. And he's going to crush Egypt. So Exodus chapter 10 and verse 21 the last plague before the firstborn are all wiped out, the one that lets them go, is darkness. So Pharaoh had his heart hardened one more time. And 10 and 21 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand towards heaven, and there was a thick darkness, obscurity, a mist, covering all the land of Egypt three days. And they saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Okay, That the ones that were not his people could not perceive. And they over there, they couldn't see each other. They were blind. They couldn't move from their place. They couldn't go around. That was it's a symbol for, for death, right? The death of the grave. Darkness is often used to describe the grave. It's also referring to the death of the final judgment. Right? Jesus would use that illustration about those being cast out into outer darkness and there being weeping and gnashing of teeth. The whole destruction of Egypt is a small version of what's going to happen at the end of the world. When there's going to be a massive destruction of everything else in creation, it's going to be wiped out, but his remnant, his people, they're going to have light, they're going to be spared, and ultimately they're going to dwell in that light for eternity, and everything else is either going to be put away completely, and every person 
who is not of God's children, they're going to be cast into outer darkness for eternity. Eternal separation from God. Eternal life is to know God the Father and His Son. Eternal damnation is to be separated from them. It's awful. It's not anything like, but that's that's the figure that's being expressed here in um, Egypt. And if you read Revelation, you'll see that there's going to be a darkening of even the stars and the moon. You can see that all coming down where the light gets lower and lower. And so here you've got this total darkness. You've got the, the darkness that's separated them. There's no escape. They can't do anything about it. Um, and the, the pattern also appears over in Jude when it talks about where the fallen angels are reserved. They're reserved in the darkness of an abyss. That's what it says in Jude real quick. Uh, Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude. It's the last book right before Revelation. The angels, Jude 6, the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So that's where they're being held now, and they're going to be judged in the last day. And then later it talked about these false prophets. Um, verse 13, saying, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Okay. This idea of being cast out, but being separated. Right. And you can see that again in, in Matthew chapter 8. You don't have to turn there about being cast out into other darkness. Right. The light and the dark. The light given to God's people. And the darkness all the way around. Everywhere else. He's the source. He's the divider. He's the one who gives it. If you go to Exodus chapter 14, you see the similar concept in the form of that pillar of fire. You know, the pillar of fire is what led the children of Israel through the wilderness. They've left Egypt. They don't know exactly um, the route they're going to go. This pillar of fire is who's leading them. I'm going to start in Exodus 13 and 20 and 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead, them, to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. So they had the ability to march day and night because they had a pillar either in the form of a cloud in front or at night it was the pillar of fire. Well, Pharaoh got the idea of, well, I really want to go kill these folks or at least make them come back um, and serve them some more. He was really upset that he let them go. He didn't want to. Um, and so he takes his arm and he chases after them. And the Lord, through the pillar, leads them to a choke point where they're bound in by the land. There's nowhere they can escape sideways. And then directly in front of them is the Red Sea. And behind them is uh, the Pharaoh's army. Right? They're in a really bad spot from the human eyes. Right? There, there was no escape. And yet God takes that pillar that had been in the front that led them right to that exact spot and puts it behind it. It now is a separation between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And you can see this in uh, 14, Exodus 14, down in verse 19. The angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud that went from before their face stood behind them. And it came between the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was cloud and darkness to them, and it gave light, gave light by night to these, so that one came not near the other all night. So now you've got a two-purpose pillar. On the half of the Egyptians, it was just cloud and darkness, obscurity. But on the side of the Egyptians, it's shining forth light. It's showing the way that they are to go. Right? And it stood there the whole night. 
and the Lord's going to send a strong east wind, and it's going to part the waters, right? And He's going to give the path where His children are to go, and that light was so bright, it shined all the way across the Red Sea where they could see where they were going as they were walking across dry land. And then the Egyptians, they try to follow, right? They go in that way, but it's not a way that's made for them. It's a way that leads to their destruction. And God's going to cause the waters to fall down and destroy all of them. There's not going to be any that are um, spared. Um, Verse 24, It came to pass in the morning, morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. So He made their way even uh, harder. He took their chariot wheels. He took off their chariot wheels. And that, that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again over the Egyptians, and upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And he did. And the waters returned to his strength, and the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea, and there remained not so much as one. But of God's children, the children of Israel, they walked on the dry land in the midst of the sea. The waters were a wall unto them on their left hand and their right hand, right hand and left hand. And the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work that the Lord did, and the Egyptians feared and the, did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. Right? The same source was a light to His people and darkness and obscurity to the others. He provided the way. The one way, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He provided that way. He provided it for His people. And though they're hated by the world and though Satan may gather all of his armies into a final battle and surround the whole host of the encamp of Israel, this is the image that's given at the end of Revelation, is that you've got the camp of his people completely surrounded. Revelation 20 and verse 9, They went up from the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. What was the end result? And fire came down from heaven, came down from God out of heaven, and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into a lake of fire and brimstone, and where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened. In the book of life, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's how it all wraps up. That's the image. The Egyptians are hot on our tail, so to speak. And though they completely surround us, as in this image, they're going to lose. God wins. God got the victory. As we heard Brother Marty say that when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, it was finished. There's not a thing that we can do to undo it. There's not a thing that Satan can do. He is a defeated foe. 
He has been fought, cast back to earth, fallen and defeated, knows his time is short, knows he got great wrath. And so will there be hard times and difficulties in this world? You better believe it. All that will live godly in this world will suffer persecution. But you get to see the end result. That God has not left you ignorant. You get to see His light and that which He shined within you. You get to see His light in your brothers and sisters. And as you're running your race looking towards Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, you get to see His light. And one day He is going to come and He's going to wrap this all up. And all that will be left is light. And there will be no darkness. That's the perfection that we're looking for. 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Where did it start from? Just sea. Waste, desolate, barren, no more sea. New heaven and a new earth. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He shall dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. Behold, I make all things new. There's coming a day. That's the day we're yearning for, we're looking forward to. It's actually coming. And we need to live. Like it's actually coming. And to walk as children of light because that's where we want to be. We want to reflect the light of our Lord. We want to live in His light. Do you know what it describes this word as being? A lamp of light. Y'all ever gone camping with all those little lamps? A little handle. I'm not talking a flashlight where you can see really far out. Those little lamps, right? You got one? You're trying to walk through the woods area you don't know. There's sticks. There's swamps. There's snakes or whatever. How much you care about that light? A lot, right? You holding it up there and you looking off over here? Not typically. Right? You're holding it and you're kind of looking where you're going. You can't see the whole stretch of the road, but you've got a light and you can see that next step. And that next step, and you've got about one or two that you can see with that little light. Well, you've got a light. Quit putting it behind your back. <laughs> and then you need to make the decision on that next step. Consider the light. Don't get mad at the light because it shows a ditch. Well, I don't like that ditch. It's the light's fault. No, dummy. It's not the light's fault. There's a ditch there. Don't step in it. But I really want to go that way. There's still a ditch there. Sometimes we get mad at the light. Well, God's just trying to restrict me. He doesn't let me do anything fun. Another illustration is like, He's giving you a map through a minefield. If you know where the mines are marked, you don't have to blow your leg off. But if you ignore it and you just go traipsing through, there's consequences. Right? So we have light. God is the light. There's no darkness with Him. His light is perfect. He shined His light within us when He gives us new light. Those scales drop off of our eyes so that we can see His light. It sees the truth within us. And we want to walk as children of light that we may glorify our Father which is in heaven, looking to and focusing on that light, using the light of His Word to guide our steps, and yearning for when we've got that 
perfect light, when we're in His presence. Right now, we love and see through a glass darkly. Right? Everything we do, like Brother Marty talked about, the perception that we have of our reality, our perception is always worse than the reality is. The reality is that Jesus Christ is a victorious Savior. And He is a sovereign God and there's nothing you can do to throw Him off or startle Him or make Him wring His hands in worry. No, He is in control. And it says that He's loved you since before the dawn of time. And so do we have to fear men or anything that happens? No. The reality is much better. And He's coming back. He's promised that. He's promised that where He would be that He wants you to be with Him. He's made the way. He's gone and prepared the place. He says, I'm going to come back again and receive you to Myself. The reality is very good. This is the light that we have. Quit focusing on the darkness. Is there a lot of darkness at night? Yes! That's because it's night. We're in the night. Don't expect it to be bright and sunny. That was, when Jesus was here, it was like a bright day. But it was short. But there's coming a day where there's no end of the day. Right now, we're in that period of darkness where we're waiting for the dawn to come. So don't expect this world to suddenly be perfect. Don't expect that if the elections go this way or whatever, you know how we get bent out of shape about this world could be much better if and if and if. Y'all, it's going to be much better, but it's only when Christ comes. That's when it gets better. We'll have peaks and valleys just like at every other time in history where things are a little bit better and a little bit worse and... And they could get terribly worse. And that's probably a sign that Jesus is about to come back. That's good too. But don't expect this world to suddenly become light. It's not. It's darkness. It's corrupt. It's vile. It's sin cursed. That's why it's got to pass away. But there's coming a day and there's coming a place where there is no darkness. No pain, no sorrow, no sickness. And we can be in the light of our Father and praise Him as He's worthy. So do we have something to rejoice in today? Yes. yes, we do. So let us rejoice in that light. Live in that light. Live lives as children of light. Not because we want to be children of light. Because He's made us children of light. Let us act like our Father. Loving one another. Loving our enemies. Yeah, that's not something that's preached very often in the world, right? Do good to those that are good to you. If you're bad to me, man, I'm going to knock your block off. Right? Just look at Facebook and all the passive-aggressive posts out there about, oh, those are good to me, but you're toxic and I'm not going to hate you for it. It's not Christ's standard. Christ's standard is to love your neighbor, right? even as yourself. To love your enemies. To love your brothers and sisters as Christ loved you. And how much does Christ love you? The same love that the Father has for the Son. That's how much He has for His Brothers and sisters, he's not afraid, ashamed to claim you as his family. He's not ashamed to claim you as his friend. We have something to rejoice in this morning. I thank you all very much for your time and attention.